Last week, Congress narrowly averted an unprecedented federal default after House Republicans and President Joe Biden reached a deal on trimming government spending over the next two years. But to make it stick, House Speaker Kevin McCarthy received more votes from House Democrats than from his fellow Republicans on a deal that few on either side really liked. It was all part of the reality of a nine-seat GOP majority in the House with a party that has serious divisions. Voters will reassess that majority next year, and with two seats expected to be among the more competitive races in the country, Arizonans could play a role in deciding which party controls the House of Representatives. Welcome to The Gaggle, a weekly politics podcast from the Arizona Republic and azcentral.com. I'm your host, Ron Hansen. I cover national politics for the Republic. And I'm Mary Jo Pitzel. I cover state politics and policy for the Republic. In the Valley, seven-term incumbent Republican Congressman David Schweikert will face one of many Democrats looking to take his seat. We'll talk about who's in that race and maybe just as importantly, who's not. In Southern Arizona, freshman Republican Juan Siscomani narrowly beat former state Senator Kirsten Engel. Now Engel wants a rematch, but first she has some competition from other Democrats. And in the West Valley, several Democrats are clamoring for the nomination in the left-leaning district that is being vacated by Congressman Ruben Gallego. Gallego is running for the U.S. Senate. Today we're talking about the House races we'll be watching, who's in, and how it fits into the bigger battle for control of Congress. Here to help us do it is Dan Nowicki, the national politics editor at The Republic. Dan, welcome back to The Gaggle. Yeah, thanks for having me. We're in the middle of the off year, but it seems like it's always political season in Arizona these days. I don't think there is an off year anymore. Right. As it stands now, two of our nine House races figure to be competitive. For the casual political observer, that may not seem like much, but inside elections, a nonpartisan site that tracks political races, only expects 33 of the 435 House seats nationally to be in play. We've got two of those. So, Dan, let's start with the first district. That's currently represented by David Schweikert. This district includes North Central Phoenix and covers the Northeast Valley with places like Scottsdale and Fountain Hills. What do we know about the Democrats who want to challenge Schweikert? Well, it's turning into kind of a free-for-all in the primary there. I think the Democrats definitely smell blood. Schweikert's been kind of a viewed as a wounded character, a kind of a easy target. This, I think, will be what, correct me if I'm wrong, like the third time the Democrats are coming at him fairly hard. So we'll see if he can, if he can hold out. Obviously, the district has changed. It is trending more Democratic. Also includes some of those suburbs that were really down on Trump, kind of depressed GOP turnout. So that's another one of Schweikert's problems in that district. On the other hand, when I was a national politics reporter, Schweikert was considered one of the bad boys of the House GOP. He was always in trouble with the House leaders. He got booted off the Financial Services Committee at one point. And anyhow, more recently, he's kind of ingratiated himself with leadership. Uh, he's more of a team player. So I think that's probably going to help him, you know, on the money side. Can you talk to us a little bit about the Democrats who are have already announced that they're going to challenge right. him? 
So Marlene Galan Woods, who a lot of people remember when she was a Phoenix TV broadcaster, she was married to the late former Attorney General Grant Woods. She has announced, I think she's probably got a lot of name recognition still, so I would think that would make her a contender early on. Some of the others, you know, Andre Cherney is another name kind of from the past. He was a state Democratic Party chair, right? I yeah. Mean, yeah. He, he ran for state treasurer. Yeah. he's, he's He ran for Congress. He did, he, yeah. He's run for Congress before. So it's kind of still a developing field. Jevin Hodge, who ran last cycle and, and gave uh, Schweikert a startle, I think, he ran a kind of a surprisingly close race. He is not going to run this time. Harald Tipperney, who has run in the past, also is not going to run. So it's going to be new contenders, and we'll see how it shakes out, you know, in this new district. I think it's probably a little early to count Schweikert out, though. Yeah, you mentioned the redistricting and that it has been redrawn. Does that work more in the favor of the Democrats or to Schweikert's detriment? No, I, I think it does work to Schweikert's detriment. I don't think it would, you know, necessarily sink a Republican, but it is changing and with Schweikert's baggage, you know, I think that's why they see him as vulnerable. Dan, you've talked about his baggage. What is it that you mean by that when you reference that? Oh, uh, well, he got into trouble with House ethics, campaign finance, and he, and he was actually rebuked by the entire House. It's kind of a historic and not a great list to be on of, of members of Congress who have actually been uh, reprimanded in that way. Also in the race is State Senator Amish Shaw, who uh, has a little bit of name recognition, too, I would imagine, in that district. So, Dan, you've mentioned some of the baggage that hurt Schweikert last year, um, even in his primary. Is he expecting any competition this year in a primary? Well, I don't think any has emerged yet, but that's certainly a possibility. He did not perform very well in his primary. He benefited from a three-way race, uh, which split the anti-Schweikert vote. So, you know, he kind of squeaked by the primary and managed to squeak by in the general election. I don't know long term how sustainable that's going to be. Dan, this is a district that is expected to be competitive. Help us understand why. Schweikert has come from the Northeast Valley where it was considered a very safe district. The lines have moved around a bit to encompass more of North Central Phoenix. Why has that made this more competitive now? Well, I think... Portions of Phoenix that are now in the district are certainly more Democratic than his previous district. So I think that adds to it for sure. You know, Schweikert used to always kind of boast that his old district was, he called it Schweikert country. He grew up over there. You know, he was in the state legislature. Uh, you know, he ran for county treasurer. And that was always his base. And now that base is maybe diluted a little bit with more Democrats. It's not as solidly... Uh, Schweikert country anymore. Last week's vote on the debt ceiling um, saw several House Republicans uh, reject the plan that was put out by Kevin McCarthy and negotiated with President Biden. How did Schweikert vote? Schweikert voted uh, with McCarthy. So he voted to raise the debt ceiling. Is that surprising? No, I just, it kind of reflects the uh, earlier point I made about him kind of getting back in the, on the good side of, of House leadership, which Honestly, you know, if, if he's in another tight race, that can help, especially on the fundraising side. So now let's pivot to the sixth district race in southeastern Arizona. That involves incumbent Republican Juan Siscomani, 
Last year, Democrats really didn't spend much to help his Democratic opponent, former state Senator Kirsten Angle, although she came within about 5,000 votes. So how is that race shaping up for 2024? Like Schweikert, Siskamani has kind of emerged as one of Speaker McCarthy's favorites. He's gotten really in good with the House leadership. He also voted on McCarthy's side on the debt ceiling, for example. Obviously, it's a different district down there. It's a much more centrist district. So Siskamani seems to realize that. I think, you know, being a favorite of McCarthy, as I mentioned, helps, especially it's going to help him raise money. We'll see how competitive this race actually is if Siskamani can raise a lot of money. But on the other hand, it's like when you have a new member of Congress, the time to, to knock him off is probably this first reelect. If he can get past this one, he might be in there for a while. Even if it's a rematch, which obviously is what Angle is looking for, although I uh, understand she's got... She's got a competitive primary as well, so she's got to get through that first. But I think a lot of Democrats maybe see that as a missed opportunity, like you mentioned. In retrospect, they probably should have devoted more resources to help her. And she that was a very narrow win by Siskamani. And, you know, some money could have changed that outcome probably. Dan, who else is in the race for the Democrats? Well, there's a guy named Jack O'Donnell, kind of famous as a Trump critic. He formerly worked for Trump, not in his administration, but in his casino world. And he wrote kind of a tell-all book. And as a result of that, he became kind of a TV commentator talking about Trump during this past Trump era. And now he's decided he's going to run down in southern Arizona for Congress. Dan, help us understand that district a bit as well. That has been historically competitive turf going back a number of years now. We saw a fairly epic finish involving Martha McSally losing by a narrow margin and then coming back the next cycle and winning by a very thin margin. Competition is not new there. What is different about that district in the current configuration that defines its status as a competitive district now? Well, yeah, obviously the lines have changed, but I think fundamentally it's the same place. And like you mentioned, it was looking back, former Congressman uh, Jim Colby, who was a kind of a moderate to liberal Republican. You had Democrat Gabrielle Giffords, who was actually pretty centrist in Congress, reflecting the constituents. Um, You had Ron Barber, you had another Democrat, you had Martha McSally, and then you have... uh, Juan Siskamani, who's also kind of tacking towards the middle. So it all reflects kind of the same, the same tone, the same feel, that that's, that is kind of a competitive, not going to tilt either way to either extreme, probably. Now let's talk about the third district that Ruben Gallego is vacating as he runs for the Senate seat that's held by independent Kirsten Cinema. His district in South Phoenix in the West Valley, it's pretty safe Democratic turf, Who's running in the Democratic primary to succeed him? Yeah, that's already become a, a pretty hotly contested primary. In the race, we have State Senator Raquel Tehran, Phoenix City Council members Yasemin Ansari and Laura Pastor. You have Hector Jaramillo, who is a school board member in Glendale, and Elenia Aguilar, who is also a school board member in Phoenix. And there could be more people who get into the race as well, because that's one of those districts where since given the demographics, whoever wins could probably be in there 20 years if they want. 
to be in there that long. Wasn't that the case with uh, former Congressman Ed Pastor, whose daughter now is? Right. Uh, Laura Pastor is a very familiar name in that district. Her father, Ed Pastor, long-serving member of Congress, Arizona's first Latino member of Congress. He's on the uh, Appropriations Committee, very influential, kind of a quiet, low-key guy, like did not really like the spotlight. But yeah, served the state for many years. Do you uh, do you think Gallego is going to pick a favorite among that pack and back anybody? Oh, that's a good question. I mean, I've not heard that he's going to do that, and I'm not sure I could even speculate who that might be if he does have a favorite. Is there anybody who stands out in that field right now? Obviously, we noted Laura Pastor. She certainly has some name recognition to people who have been around for a while here. Does that make her the favorite, or is this as wide open as it, it feels? It feels wide open to me. I don't think Laura Pastor would necessarily be a front runner. Okay, we've talked about how others have voted on the debt ceiling. I have to ask, how did Ruben Gallego vote? Uh, he voted for it as well. We've also mentioned that, you know, Gallego is running for Senate to challenge Kirsten Cinema, who's running as an independent. In either of these congressional races that we're talking about, do we have any independents that are looking to get in get involved in uh independent candidate? Yes, or a no labels. I've not heard of anybody yet, but it's still kind of early. There will be probably some third parties. Hmm. You can almost guarantee it. So let's pull back just a bit and put Arizona's two competitive races in a bit of context. Democrats need only flip five net seats to regain the majority next year. But litigation around redistricting is complicating the equation in several states. In North Carolina, for example, a new Republican majority on the state Supreme Court overturned its own 2022 decision to allow lawmakers to redraw their maps for partisan advantage. That could mean four of the seven Democrats currently in Congress from that state could find themselves gerrymandered out of office. And it's not just North Carolina. Ohio is looking at maybe adopting a more Republican-friendly map. Democrats in New York and Wisconsin may draw maps in their favor as well. So I guess, Dan, the one thing that seems to be clear out of all of that, if anything, is that we may see even fewer competitive races like the ones that we're talking about here in Arizona. Right. And obviously in Arizona, the state has a independent redistricting commission. It was passed by voter initiative, which took the power away from the legislature, which was always accused of drawing partisan pro-Republican lines, at least in the couple of decades up to that ballot initiative. And they've made a priority. And one of the one of their kind of goals is to have more competitive districts. And so that's a consideration that they're supposed to keep top of mind when they're drawing their new maps. So that might be a model that maybe other states will look at. So if there are even fewer competitive races, does that mean what's happening, what might happen in Arizona might be diluted by that, that it maybe won't make much of a difference? Uh, it may mean that they'll get more attention as well. Dan, thanks for taking the time to go over all this with us. If people want to follow your work on social media, where can they find you? I am on Twitter at Dan Nowicki, D-A-N-N-O-W-I-C-K-I, just like my byline. That's all we have time for today, Gaggle listeners. Do you have questions you want us to answer or topics you'd like us to cover? Reach out to us at thegaggle at arizonarepublic.com or call us at 602 444 
0804. And if you like the show, please leave us a review and share it with a friend. To ensure you never miss an episode, follow The Gaggle on your favorite podcast app. You can follow me on Twitter at Mary J. Pitzel. That's P-I-T-Z-L. And you can follow me at Ronald J. Hansen. That's H-A-N-S-E-N. Today's episode was edited and produced by Kaylee Monahan. You can follow her at Kaylee Monahan. That's K-A-E-L-Y-M-O-N-A-H-A-N. Thanks for listening to The Gaggle, a podcast from the Arizona Republic and azcentral.com. We'll see you next week.